Hey guys, welcome to episode number six. Hello, Ashley. How are you doing, babe? I'm good, and how are you doing, love? I'm doing good. I loved last week's episode. Same with me. Oh my goodness, that Q&A. There's something so soul-filling when I know that people are interacting. I know that people are getting stuff out of what we're doing here. So yes, I, uh, I felt really wonderful leaving that episode. How about you? Me too. Me too. And we look forward to getting more questions from you guys as the weeks unfold. We love, love interaction. So keep those guys coming. Now, today's episode is going to be all about intermittent fasting and the ways in which we use it with this lifestyle and how we've maybe come to get to this place and then ways in which you would set that up. Uh, So for me, I kind of want to take it back to my original weight loss journey and then bring it up to where I'm at right now. Cause I think so often women try different diets, they try different methods, they're trying keto and like intermittent fasting is great, but I think it has all this hype around it of like, Oh, it needs to look like this and you need to link it with keto. And like, it has to be 16 hours of fasting and then eight hours of eating. And I want to really just remind you guys that you can do totally what works for you. So girl, but it's not before you keep going. I love, I know what this is, but for the listener who doesn't, who's never heard the words intermittent fasting, it's, it's something that it's a buzzword that's being tossed around. It's pretty popular, but what is it before you dive in on your journey? I want to hear all about it before you dive in though. What the heck does that even mean? Good. <laughs> right? So what does you're that totally mean? right. You're totally what right. What does that mean? Intermittent yeah. fasting. Yeah. Sounds totally. like stopping eating. But, yeah. But what can you break Great it question. down? Great question. Um, so essentially intermittent fasting, fasting is not eating. So intermittent fasting would mean that you would be essentially eat, stop eating, eat, stop eating, eat stop eating. So instead of always fasting, so never eating or eating all of the time, which would mean eating um, throughout the day, any time of the day, the entire time that you're awake, you are taking segments of the day and consuming calories or eating food in a certain window. So the one that's really popular right now, I would say would be the 16-8, which is eight hours of eating, 16 hours of fasting. Um, But there's lots of different ways that that could look for people. And so when somebody is sleeping, is that considered a fast? So if I, let's say I go to bed at 11 and I have my last rice cake at 1045, because that's real, (laughs) right? So I go to bed at 11 and I get up at, let's say seven. So do I already have eight hours of fasting in yes okay so it doesn't begin when I wake up no the fast begins as soon as I'm done eating that last kind of big thing or the last thing I've eaten before kind of that large chunk of time where I'm not eating Mm -hmm. yeah so you're dividing your day into 24 hours so you have 24 Mm -hmm. hours in the day when you're figuring out eating and fasting you would be determining it with a 24 hour clock okay Okay. And that's going to look different. And that's a really great question that you've asked there, Ashley. Um, So yeah, so let's just take it back, back, back. So for me, some of you guys know me, you're familiar with my story and you're familiar with the fact that I spent the first couple decades overweight and essentially living off of Pepsi and deep fried foods. After that point, I knew nothing about eating healthy. Mm -hmm. So my 
first initial weight loss journey included eating chicken, lettuce, and fruit, drinking massive amounts of water, and running through teas water. So I didn't know anything about healthy eating. And the reason why I wanted to take this back is to really show you guys that there is an evolution of finding what works. And there's lots of different ways that you can lose weight. There's lots of different ways that you can do this lifestyle. Some of them are better than others. And I think so often these hype diets or these trend diets, all I knew was that chicken was healthy and then lettuce was healthy. I put nothing on it. <laughs> just completely lettuce straight. No dressing. And fruit. And yeah. And it's hilarious to me looking back. I would eat pizza, deep fried foods, Pepsi. It was just like completely cold turkey from this point onwards. Nope. These are the only things I eat. And I was like white knuckled. And to me, it's crazy. But I think so often that can happen for people. And so when you're listening to today's episode and we're diving into intermittent fasting and you're like, I have to try this thing because Ange Nash say it's great. Know that this has been a a path of discovery for me for 11 years that I'm now at a place of like, okay, yeah, this works. You can sustain this. Obviously I couldn't sustain eating fruit, chicken and lettuce for the rest of my life. So as we're going through and talking about that, I want, I want you guys to, uh, yeah, listen with an open heart and open ears, but also recognize that this is what's worked for us, but it's taken us a while to get to this place. And when you're sharing your journey, Ashley, I invite you to also share the dieting mishaps and kind of how you got here too. So for for me, that was, that was the first place, which led me to some really disordered eating patterns for multiple years. So Mm -hmm. first it was anorexia. And then after that, it was binge eating and just this path of we're having a really unhealthy relationship with food, but also not checking into what intuitively felt good. So my first initial obsession with food was when I did my first show. And so for that show, I was like, I can only eat clean foods. And those clean foods were like chicken, broccoli, rice, asparagus, fish. That's it. And that was like, Bring your chicken breast and your purse to the bar because you're doing the do. You're in Las Vegas and you literally have <laughs> a sweet potato that you're eating at a club in Las Vegas. But like, which is beautiful in that, like that self power of like, I'm doing me and the courage for that. But I do remember, yeah, you pulling out like a Tupperware and just like chowing down on a chicken breast. And I'm like, okay, it's 11 PM and it's your time to eat a chicken breast. Cool. But right. So that, that space can be, it requires courage, but I want to also recognize too the, the importance of you kind of shifting. Totally. That. So at that point, it was every three hours on the hour with the alarm clock on the phone. That's what you're eating. I didn't weigh or measure food at that point. It was more just like, this is what you're having. It was more like hand-based, but it was very like six meals. And if you don't eat, Every three hours, your body cannot get where it needs to go. And I thought like eating every six hours or eating every three hours, six meals a day was like what was going to lead me to get lean. And it worked totally. So my mind was like, okay, I can only eat clean foods and I can only eat every three hours and that's going to work. So again, I got, I lost weight just like the first time when I ate the chicken and all that crazy banana stuff there. (laughs) Right. And so after that point, I was like, okay, there has to be a better way in terms of making this stick forever. Because what happens after you've been eating super limited Mm -hmm. for like six months, eight months, nine months, a year, whatever that's looking like, 
you just want to binge on candy and chocolate and all of these things because you haven't had them in so long. So I can remember like after my show eating almost an entire tub of peanut butter to the point where it felt like I could not like swallow because I had oh not had gosh. sugar yeah. and even like natural peanut butter does not have that much sugar. But I remember as soon as I got that flavor in my mouth, I could not stop myself. It was like, psychologically, my brain was going, blah, 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 and I think that's what happens, right? So both of those strategies, lost weight, and I got lean, right? Mm-hmm. Third time, I'm like, okay, here we go. There has to be a better way. And that's where I found flexible dieting and counting macros. And that, again, still requires a level of commitment and dedication. But I was like, okay, this time I'm going to have to work in the foods that I know that I love because I know when I come off of it, if I've had pancakes throughout the process, if I've had ice cream throughout the process, I'm not going to do my show or be at my end goal and be going totally crazy. And I can see that the strategy was working a lot for my clients and they were able to see great results while still including a lot of other foods that aren't on typical diets. So that was the beginning of my macro counting journey. And then I competed and have still really believed in counting macros in terms of transforming your body. But the thing that I found more powerful than any of that has really been intermittent fasting because it can sink so nicely into my life. And it's really not about how much you're eating. I found that the intermittent fasting piece for myself and for a lot of my clients is really creating a window of when you're eating that makes sense for your life. For sure. And so as I'm where I'm at right now and the journey since that point, I think has been tuning back into you're not hungry right now. You don't need to be eating. And so much of my trained mind as an athlete was like, but you need to be eating because it's nine and whatever it's been three hours right and I was so in tune with that and I wasn't in tune with my body because I thought that made sense now in the self-awareness piece of being like honestly girl you are not really hungry until almost lunchtime every single day and sometimes it's even later than that and I don't think there is anything wrong it's not an intentional like I'm not eating right now it's me tuning in with my body to say this just makes so much more sense with my day versus feeling as though oh breakfast is the most important meal of the day so you have to eat right now so As we're diving into today's conversation, I want to talk about how we can check in with ourselves to say, like, okay, this eating window makes sense for me. This eating window doesn't make sense. And that's really going to depend on the person and what it is that they have going on in their life. But I want to explore what that looks like. And then I also want to talk about the reasons why fasting can work for... Um, I think in your space, I think you want to talk a little bit more about the chakras and how it can bring you to a place of, I think, enlightenment is maybe the word that you use to describe it. And then I want to talk a little bit about more of the the science piece on why it can be really great to change your body. Absolutely. And just kind of hearing you talk about that, one of the things that pops up in my head is I also use intermittent fasting almost every day. And I, that kind of lunchtime pieces when my breakfast sort of is, but I'm, I know, I know in my every single soul cell inside my body, I'm an evening eater. Yeah. So to eat in the morning, I could care less. 
So by shifting all of those calories into just a smaller window, right, I'm going to eat all those calories anyways. I'm going to eat those things that I'm craving and wanting in the evening because that's just the way I roll. But if I can cut out breakfast and I can cut out that morning snack and I can cut out even sometimes lunch, all of those calories that I would consume just because, well, you should have breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. All of a sudden, there's 600 calories that I don't even really care for. But because I, there's this mental or this societal belief that you should eat that, right? So as soon as I got over that hump of that kind of core belief, all of a sudden there goes six or 700 calories that I can either include in my evening budget or just completely go out the window anyways, right? So that intermittent fasting when people are like, oh my God, you're starving yourself. No, I'm just not eating when I'm not hungry. And that doesn't happen until about 1 p.m. Yeah. And that's when my window begins. And that's when I, you know, have breakfast or a smoothie or I have my lunch or whatever that is. And so I think it's really important too. Um, there was a girlfriend of mine who was doing your 28 day challenge. And one of the things she said was, oh my gosh, by, you know, 7 p.m. And same, she's an evening eating, evening eater. She's like, I can't, I, I have nothing left that I can eat. And I said, bump your entire schedule or save your snacks, right? So she bumped it to about 1 p.m. And then all of a sudden, you know, that breakfast at 1 p.m. And then you can have a snack and then it's supper. And then you have all these other things that you can still have. You haven't eaten them in the morning when you weren't really hungry anyways, but now it's evening and you're starving. Now you have those things and you, there doesn't seem like that, oh my gosh, I need to eat everything all at once right now because, it, you know, I shouldn't. It's like, oh, I have all this stuff I can eat now. And it's not that kind of forbidden fruit the way that it maybe once was. Totally, totally. And I love even the idea of what you're talking about in terms of exploring what the day looks like. So I do want to dive into your personal journey, but just as a a first forethought, when it comes to when you start eating or honoring your hunger or just kind of doing that Mm check-in, I think some people, you're saying, yes, I'm an evening eater. I know I'm an evening eater. And then I know some people are like waking up and they're they're super hungry. Mm -hmm. So I think for the person that, is thinking to themselves, there is absolutely no way breakfast is my most important, like they look forward to breakfast. They are super excited about it. And they're, they're tuning into that piece. My question to the person listening that's feeling that is, could you try not to do it and see what happens as the first experiment? Or could you try if you are going to cut off your window and say like, let's say your last thing's going to be at six or seven throughout the night, could you check in and see how that influences your sleep to see if either of those things are workable? So typically, I will say to a client, which hard are you willing to endure? Mm. Both paths in dieting are hard. Mm-hmm. Normally, your body gets adapted, but which hard are you willing to endure? Are you willing to wake up in the middle of the night because you have hunger pains um, because you haven't ate for four or five hours before you went to bed? Or are you willing to endure a little bit of that discomfort in the morning where you are a little bit growly and you are like feeling a little bit hungry? Which heart are you willing to choose? And so once you choose like, okay, maybe neither of them feel great for you, Mm -hmm. but can you try to do one of those hard paths and see which one you like less? 
as like a starting ground versus feeling as though, oh, I have to do it this way or I have to do it this way. I would experiment with both cards Mm -hmm. and then see which one am I willing to tolerate if you do want to commit to trying intermittent fasting. For sure. Okay. So when you talk about intermittent fasting, does that mean no food, no water, no coffee, no anything? Or what does that, what's included? So for me, I drink coffee. I drink way too much coffee, but also I include that in my fast. And I know probably most fasts don't, but no, that works do. for they me. They do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Liquids are fine. Okay. See there then. are some fasting Nazis that will tell you otherwise. Cause they'll like, for example, I drink branch chain, chain amino acids. So in those, they have the amino acids that would um, be part of proteins. So when I'm drinking that all morning, I am consuming about 20 calories, about five grams of protein, probably every hour, hour and a half. Okay in the water that I'm consuming, also consuming coffee throughout that period of time too. Um, But yeah, so there is going to be a tiny, tiny amount that would break your fast, but I'm not a fasting Nazi. Okay. So liquids are are fine. Um, What I would say is that when it comes to like fasting in the evening, one thing that I would say doesn't count towards a fast is if you're consuming alcohol. So when it comes to consuming alcohol, whether that's in the morning or the evening for you, um, just joking, kind of, but when it comes to the evening, that would break your fast because the impact of alcohol on your system is going to break the fast, A, because it's high in calories and because it's going to affect your liver so greatly. Uh, So alcohol would be the exception to the liquid rule. When it comes to things like, let's say, pops. What about a pop? Pops, juices. Again, it's... Depends on how many calories they're going okay. they're going to be. I would say if you're going to be consuming something that's like 50 calories, I would say it's not a major, major deal. But if you're somebody who in the morning is going to drink a two liter of pop, that's a different story. Right. Right? So but I would say water like... with Mio, if I were to have water with Mio, it's not going to shift totally. that. But if I go to Tim Hortons and I order an extra large hot chocolate, I'm breaking that fast. It probably isn't your most optimal. It'd be kind of like... There's like the best route is just mm-hmm. water, plain water, nothing mm-hmm. in it, no coffee, nothing. Mm. That'd be like best optimal. Then you have like your better, which is kind of what we're doing, right? We're doing the coffee, we're doing the meal, we're doing the BCAAs. Yeah. Um, and then like the okay would be you're still having like the hot chocolate. Right. Um, okay. Still, you're still keeping the calories down somewhat, right. um, but isn't as optimal in that case. But yeah, calories in alcohol are quite high just in general um they're similar to that effect so they're okay on the higher side that's That's a great that's a great question um but yeah let's take us take everybody back to your like oh my goodness dieting journey and maybe some of the crazy things that you tried she's ugly (laughs) but that's ugly 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 is is my favorite me too me too so the very first time that i ever remember dieting exercise and my shift with kind of my body and my image was grade four grade four I decided I needed to start running cross-country because I was overweight grade four and it was a long and gnarly process of years and years and years of yo-yo dieting binge eating um, hating myself 
I remember, and it wasn't actually this very long ago. So I keep like all of my journals that I have had over the years. And I'm just naturally by nature have always been a journaler. And I went back to one of the journals and it would have been, oh my goodness, 12 or 11 years ago. And this was, this stands out so abruptly in my mind reading it. Honestly, it was a week ago, maybe. And it said, day two of being Anno. And I was like, I was struggling. I was trying to be anorexic. That was my goal, was to be anorexic. That, and that's what I was writing about. So day two of accomplishing no eating. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I read that. And I was just, right now it makes me emotional just thinking about that. Like, holy cow, girl, you were in that place where you hated your body so much that you were willing to, you would rather die than be overweight was kind of right. Like that's basically that, what that said to me. And I just went, Oh my goodness. Like you were broken. You felt broken. You were not broken, but you felt so broken because you didn't feel enough. And I also think back to that time and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like she's probably the same size I am now Mm -hmm. in like the place where I'm like, Hey, things are great. Right. And I was like, Oh, I couldn't see right? I couldn't see me at that point. And um, yeah, so I have tried, I on a, I have tried the cabbage soup diet. I have tried um, running every single day for over an hour. I have tried only drinking water and protein powder. Um, yeah, I have tried lots of really awful methods and none of them <laughs> seem to work. And I, at one point, read the book called Women, Food, and God, I believe. Um, And she talks about our purpose in this lifetime is not to be here to lose and gain the same amount of weight back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I just, that really hit home for me when I went, oh my gosh, everything that I do in this life is not about my weight. And that like struck such a big chord to me that because I think what happens when we diet, when we exercise, when we focus on this thing, it's important to prioritize. It's important to have goals. But what happens when we have that terrible relationship with ourselves, with food, and I think what happens is we we lose sight of everything else because we become obsessed with what we're eating that day, what we're not eating that day, what we weigh that day, what we don't weigh that day, what we're right. Like we, it becomes our purpose. So we, yeah, we go to our job, but really the actual, everything that's on my brain becomes about food becomes about how much I've moved my body, how much have I, you know, expended or how much have I put in. And that's where that guilt piece comes in. So for so much of my journey, I felt a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of shame because I wasn't in the skin that I wanted to be in. And I didn't know how to do that without the all or nothing approach. Yeah. And I was very much all or nothing. So when I was in that nothing stage, I was binge eating. I, I binge. Oh my goodness. I think of, remember there were nights when I would, I would fall off the wagon and then I would eat an entire box of Oreos. Yeah. I feel you. And I remember Cam reaching across And he like put his hand on me and I totally recoiled where I was just like, ew, 
don't touch me. I feel so gross. Like I felt like I was, I didn't eat to the point of like, Oh, I'm so glad I had those Oreos. I feel so good. I ate to the point of like, I could actually barf right now. My stomach is so distended and I'm uncomfortable. Like the idea of having sex or like being touched was just like repulsive to me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, Holy cow girl, like the place that you're in is not benefiting you when you don't want at this point, it was my boyfriend. You don't want your boyfriend to even touch you. I really hope those Oreos were so good because you don't want your boyfriend to touch you right now. Your quality of life is crap. You hate yourself. You don't want to be touched and you didn't enjoy any single one of those Oreos. You just sat there thinking I'm sabotaging everything I've just done because I haven't eaten in four days. Right. And then still the next day beating myself up for that starting over. I'll be better. I'll be anorexic today and all the days henceforth. Um, So that was very much a big part of my journey. I started to um, appreciate or notice the things that my body could do once I was pregnant because it, it didn't matter anymore. I was getting fat anyways. Right. And I felt so sick that all I could do was intuitively eat. So for the, when I was pregnant with Felix, I, I think one of the only things I consumed was fruit and popsicles, but it was, that was all that my body could consume. Right. And so it happened with every single pregnancy that intuitive eating. I was gonna, I'm just going to pause you for yeah. one second, babe. And I'm just going to say that the amazing part about pregnancy is the cravings and the aversions mm-hmm. teach us intuitive eating and teach us how yes. to listen to the signals that your body is giving you because you cannot ignore it. No. When you smell something when you are pregnant, you would literally barf if you would try to eat it. 100%. And it's that intuitiveness, but at that next level... But it's teaching you that skill. So once you aren't pregnant or when you're not in that, you can really tap into it. Because, yes, it's more of a whisper versus I cannot have that thing. But it's really taught you that skill, which is amazing to see. And you're not thinking your body needs to look a certain way. No. Right? So it adds that intuitive piece and it takes away that place of, but you must be skinny. You're like, well, I'm growing a baby. Like, I'm not going to be skinny. So I need... Oh my goodness. I would sit down and I would eat four oranges. I would cut them up in those little triangles. I would put them on a cutting board and I would sit down and watch whatever we were watching that night. And I would just like consume so many oranges. It's not a surprise that Felix is now allergic to oranges, (laughs) But, but that intuitive piece of just, okay, this is what my body needs. And if I don't follow this, I will barf. And I remember being, we were away on, it was a different girls trip, but we were away at a cabin somewhere. And I was pregnant with Coralie. And do you remember? It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. We had all had our showers and you guys were all drinking coffee and I still couldn't drink coffee, but I was drinking a Coke. And I was like, don't judge me girls. I have to drink this Coke because for whatever reason, when I was pregnant with Coralie, pop is what settled my stomach. So I was drinking Pepsi, I was drinking root beer, I was drinking Coke, and it was, but I also allowed that, right? And so it's kind of funny. I couldn't eat chicken, I couldn't eat eggs, but Pepsi, Coke, and just allowing that intuitive piece was really, really kind of neat to just 
experience for the first time. So pregnancy was um, really empowering because I, since grade four up until pregnant, I had always been trying to lose weight. Mm. That's a long time. Holy cow. Like, so that was really interesting. But after I had had Coralie, I was very much aware of my body. I was, I still loved my body because I had learned that over the past six years, holy shit, my body does amazing things. Like it births humans. It carries humans. It feeds humans. It gets humans from A to B. Usually I'm one of those humans, right? And so after having Coralie, I reached out to Ange because my body was also saying like, hey girl, you're doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. And that was obviously candida. But I remember reaching out to you and I was so scared. I was so scared to dive into dieting. I was scared to do exercise because of that path I was once on. I remember thinking I would rather be 40 pounds overweight and not have that horrible relationship with food and myself that I have, well, always had, Mm -hmm. right? And so I was so hesitant, so hesitant when you and I started working together. I mean, you're one of my best friends. So that kind of bridge was, it was naturally there, but I'm like, I still pushed at it. I still resisted. I still struggled. And the way that you showed up in that space for me, and I think this is one of the most beautiful things that you do with the women and men, but mostly women that show up with you is it doesn't matter that you have been dieting or struggling for 20 years. I am meeting you where you are today. And so when I, when Ange and I started working together, exercise was not even, was not even on the table. Like it was not right. It was more about getting symptoms under control and then moving my body in a way that worked for me. Now I'm in a very different space. I have a different relationship with food and my body and energy and exercise. And I love it, but I didn't start there. And that was a really scary thing because I felt it was a slippery slope. If I dive into dieting, if I dive into exercise, all of a sudden I'll become obsessed. All of a sudden that number on the scale will be what dictates my mood. It will dictate the way I interact with my family and my husband and my people. And I didn't, I was so scared of that. I was so terrified. Um, I love that you share that. And it sounds like for the first time in your entire life, you entered the journey with no shame or guilt Mm -hmm. associated with any of it. Totally. And I think that is the root of so many people's struggles is what they put in their body causes so much shame Mm -hmm. and guilt whether they move their body or not move their body, there's so much shame and guilt that's associated with all of it. And I think that is, Oh, I was so bad this weekend. Why would you do? Oh my God. I had like half of a cake. Did you kill anybody? (laughs) You were so bad. What did you do? Right. It's that. Yes. And then they, and then they sit in that. And I think so often that, yeah, I love that you've come to this place and I thank you for saying so many nice things. But I think that's the magic in what I do is helping people release all that shame and guilt mm-hmm. that has bogged them down for so many decades. That's like, 
Well, every other person I've worked with has always told me that I can't have that thing. And I was like, where did it get you? You just want to have that thing. I get it. Every, like most of the nutritionists are going to say to you, don't have those things because there's going to be an insulin spike. And then this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. That doesn't get people where they want to go because it's forbidden fruit. And because if they do do it, it's like they sit feeling as though they are so bad. Yeah. They're like the bad kid in the corner. And like, this doesn't get you anywhere long term. Um, even though like, okay, yeah, it would be optimal to never have those things. But I think both of us have been through the cycle of like, we've done it. We've done like been through all these struggles and what we've seen on the other side of that is being super restrictive and not designing your diet or the way that you're eating to fit your lifestyle makes zero sense because you just can't stick with it. For sure. And that's where the intermittent fasting is something that I've started to enjoy maybe in this past year. My husband actually dabbled in it first and that caused some like rifts between us because I was still in that place of fear. Um, it meant anorexia to me. I was like, if you're not eating, that's not good. I had this belief, right? And you were here and I'm just sitting there and I know she's like, intermittent fasting is great. And I'm like, ah, but I was also emotional because he was doing something that I wasn't doing. So there was a resentment. There was some jealousy. There was some, some guilt there just on my behalf. Right. Um, and so now that I'm doing it, he also does it as well, but it's, most of it is because it works with our lifestyle. Yeah. When I get up, I'm not hungry and we're doing the hustle. It is kids to school, getting life in order, packing lunches and getting out the door. And so when that's me sitting down and eating anything with anybody at that point, just is unrealistic. And it, it wouldn't add to your day. No, to take away from it. It was totally, totally. And I, I see this a lot for moms with young kids where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm just so busy to eat in the morning. I'm like, girl, then don't eat. Yeah. Like if it is another thing on your to-do list of a morning that is already stressful. Yeah. Take it off the list. It's all good. Yes. Especially if you're eating later into the evening You'll wake up and you aren't hungry. You had your last meal at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. I think you said 1045, right? <laughs> you have those calories into the evening because yes. that works for your groove and your schedule. You don't wake up super starving. So I think so often, yeah, for those young, you're in that stage. I'm in that stage. This works for other people too. But I'm just saying, especially with the young kids and sure. all of the diapers and emotions and all of the things in the morning. You're filling up a lot of cups in the morning, I feel like, with young kids. And I think, too, it's important to mention when we feel most emotional. And we know that food is connected to emotion. Food shouldn't make us feel guilty. It shouldn't make us feel shame. But food does make us feel good, right? There are neurotransmitters that are released in the body when we eat. Dopamine is one of them. That's a feel-good chemical that is released. And so in the evening, we're most depleted just of our energy stores because we've been out interacting in the world. We've been working away on our laptop or whatever the case is. We are more depleted than we are first thing in the morning mm-hmm. because we've done a day. Right. And so in the morning, we don't feel that same, Oh my God, I need to eat to feel good feeling because 
the stresses of the day are not yet on us. They're coming. We know they're coming, right? But in the evening, that's when the day settles in. That's when we feel like, oh, I can take a load off. That's when we are craving a little bit more of that emotional fill. And it's okay that food fills that emotional piece. Food is a feel-good thing. It's We don't want to overload on it. That's where that binging is. But knowing that, hey, I like, for me, this is a ridiculous guilty pleasure, but I love the chocolate rice cakes. So I will sit and I'll eat seven of them. Like, I don't even care. But, I, like, I don't even care. But that's my, like, in the evening when I'm just, like, sitting there, Cam and I are down in the shop or we're sitting watching a show or I'm chugging away on something else, then that's my, like, oh, relax, release, whatever. And so I know that. That's, it does. It's emotional. Not in, like, a, it could make me tear up or it's so good. I could never deal without this. But I like it. It's and joyful. I, yes. And I like that my kids are in bed. I like that my house is quiet. My house is probably not, but maybe sort of kind of clean. And there's like a decompression that comes with that. And so knowing that if I were to eat those seven rice cakes at 9am, I would just, it wouldn't work. I wouldn't feel that same joy. I wouldn't feel hungry or just wanting them the same way. Right. And so I think there is something about the evenings, that unwinding piece that we are more emotional and we reach for food. And so if we haven't eaten when we weren't hungry, kind of in that morning space, or we've saved a little bit of those calories, the evening doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, I just blew it all to hell. You're like, eh, I haven't eaten all day, so I can have X, Y, or Z without that guilt piece, without that shame piece. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And I love that you're even just tapping into the piece of the shifting of the calories, but also just that joy piece. I think so often sustainability when it comes to food is wrapping your head around how can I create joy mm-hmm. with my eating? And yes, it's it's the timing, but it's also recognizing within yourself, does this bring me joy or not versus feeling as though, oh, but my diet told me I have to do that. Oh, but my plan that I'm supposed to be following told me that I should do that. I think so often we lose sight of intuitiveness because we read something on the internet or somebody does an Instagram post. Oh, she's doing that. And so that feels really good. I think in listening to this, we're sharing what it is that really works for us, but I want everybody to also know that like the timing of that may look totally different. Maybe for you, you go to bed right when your kids go to bed. And so Mm -hmm. that doesn't work for you. And you are going to rock that morning and your eating window is going to look different because you love to eat breakfast before your kids wake up. Or maybe you don't have kids and you want want to have a big breakfast and you want to have it at 9am every day and you look forward to that. But that brings you joy. So I think when we're looking at what your eating window is going to look like, I think it's just creating some very gentle boundaries of like six to eight hours throughout the day where you are consuming calories, you're feeling great, and you're shifting 
that window to make sense for your life. And really, that's a way to A, manage calories, but also just maximize the calories that you are consuming so that most of the day, your body is burning fat so that you are having a lot of mental clarity, which leads me into some of the things that you know to be true about intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting and the way in which it affects the chakras within the body. So let's dive into that. Okay. Okay, so there's seven major chakras in the body there's actually over 200 but the seven we are going to focus on are what people if you've ever heard the term chakras are what we are referring to and the reason that we focus on those seven chakras is because they settle in and on the major organs of our body so just kind of a brief overview there's our root chakra it's located in the pelvis sacral chakra just below the belly button solar plexus in your rib cage just below kind of your breasts Um, heart chakra over the heart throat chakra is in your throat third eye forehead and then there's a cone that goes out from your head and that is crown chakra and so those seven chakras are where we feel some of our clogs it's where we feel some of the pent-up things of the day that get stuck it's also when those things are flowing and in a good space probably we're doing okay. And so when it comes to food, we reach to food because we know that food energizes us. We know that food transfers into energy. Sleep transfers into energy. Sunshine transfers into energy. But also when we go to that food place, when we think of food as energy, food grounds us. It brings us back down to earth because food generally, if you just think of food that doesn't come from packages, comes from the earth. So when we eat, we feel grounded. So when we go to that intermittent place, when we think of intermittent fasting, we're talking about not grounding. So we're actually going to those higher chakras. So when we feel a little bit lightheaded, when we feel a little bit loopy, when we start to kind of I don't want to say hallucinate, but let's say you didn't eat for many days, you might, right? But it's because you're not grounding. And so we can, with intermittent fasting, because it's safe, we're not grounding down, but we're going to that place of enlightenment. So those higher chakras, when we talk about the crown chakra, when we talk about the third eye, the throat chakra, and the heart chakra, those are the higher chakras. They are more connected to our divine self our divine purpose, our higher self. And so when we don't eat for that little bit of extra time, we can be in that space easier. And it's important too that we do eventually obviously eat because it grounds us. We notice that as soon as we eat, we're like, okay, I'm back down to earth. Okay, I can move about my day here on this planet. And that's really where kind of that melds between intermittent fasting and the beauty of that and how it can be a higher experience. We can choose to be in that divine space when we aren't full of food. And we can also ground back down with whatever it is that we are choosing to eat kind of later after that window kind of closes. And so when we enter it in that space of, oh my goodness, I'm a little bit lighter. I'm a little bit clearer. I feel connected to something else. That's that fasted place and that grounded, okay, I'm back to me. I feel like myself. I feel like I can move about my day and really kind of 
those base tasks. I can get shit done. Do, 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 do. We can organize. We can manage. That's that grounding piece that food provides. And so when we look at it from those two perspectives, it can create a lot of beauty in the way that our body and our energy opens and closes. And so when we are open, we can move about our day in a really beautiful place. And so just by being knowledgeable of that, we can take that thing that we're doing, we're already doing, it's working with our life, but knowing about it and experiencing it from that angle adds a sense of beauty to it that is beyond just, I want to be thinner, I want to be leaner, I want to whatever, but that I'm, you know, I'm experiencing this from a place of my higher self. I think it's so interesting because I've never, I know you have, um, you have talked about this before and I didn't really know those things to be true other than I always knew when I was going to do a creative project that I would sync it with like a two or three day fast. And mm-hmm. so, which maybe sounds a little bit crazy to the person that's listening, but for me, when I am in flow state and I'm like, creating an ebook or designing a program or trying to design an event stopping to eat doesn't help me and when I'm in flow and I'm like in front of a computer or writing down notes or doing that and in that state food is an interrupter for me so anytime that I've needed to like really have higher level big picture thinking, I used to always do these two to three day fasts. And I never knew that that was like synced in until you brought that to my attention. I don't know that we were talking about this, but I always could recognize that, Mm. that that was something that happened very naturally. So I do want to talk a little bit too about what fasting looks like if you decide to do it for a longer period of time, right? So I'm talking about a two or three day, depending on how you're feeling. So up until this point, we've been talking about fasting throughout one day where you're still eating. Let's say you do want to try 24 hours, 48 hours. The reasons why you decide to do that, I think cannot be built around, I want to lose weight. Therefore, I should not eat food for two to three days. Right. Right. I think the reason why you decide to go down this path of intermittent fasting, if you are listening, I do want you to know that I want it to circle back to the right reasons versus Mm -hmm. trying to lose a bunch of weight. Oh, I'm in a wedding on Saturday. So if I don't eat for half the week, then I'm going to look better in my dress. That is not what I'm talking about when I'm saying like two to three days of deciding to do that. I do think though for creative projects and for times in which you need to get shit done. And I mean like you're finishing, like I I've heard this tons of times from people that are writing books or like there's sometimes when I know you can go to retreats where you don't eat for multiple days. Right. So that you have to like tap into survival stores and all that sort of thing. So that's something totally different. But if you are somebody that, that speaks to you, that is still drinking water throughout those days. That's not completely cutting yourself off. But if you do decide to give that a try, I think it is tapping into what Ashley's talking about, what messages come through. Or if you do get hungry and your stomach is showing up and being like, 
you should probably eat. I think the intuition piece that becomes from that place is like, I don't need to immediately satisfy the fact that I feel a little bit of discomfort. I think so often, especially here in North America, we are so taught to, you eat three meals, two snacks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This is what they look like. These are the times that they happen. And we are so... Three square meals a day, right? There's a term around that. Right? And it is is pushed down our throats. But there are so many cultures in the world where that does not look like that. And you know what? They look great, they feel great, (laughs) and they might even look a little bit better than what we do over here. So I think the the piece with that, if you are exploring that and you're listening, I would say if you want to tap into that creatively, I would still plan to drink tea, coffee, water, and tap into the fact of if it does this feel good right and does this make me more productive because for some people your blood sugar drops you feel like crap and you feel like you can't do anything and that's okay too that's developing the self-awareness and I think the biggest thing with that Ange is if you're doing something connected to your soul you don't get hungry so when I'm out here doing Reiki and I can be out here for five, six, seven hours at a time over meals. I'm not hungry until I go into my house. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, I can eat an elephant. But out here, I'm not. But it's it's connected to what I'm doing because it's part of my soul. I'm so motivated. My energy is being fed by something other than food, right? And so when, you, when you're talking about developing a course or when you're sitting down to be in a creative process, it's something that's connected to you. So if you are thinking, okay, I just need to slog away at this project because it's for something else. I don't care about it. You're not going to feel, you're, gonna, you're probably going to look for excuses to get up and go eat. How many times have I remember in university, I was writing my honors essay and I was like, I would just open the fridge to look in it. Yeah. Like, I was here five minutes ago, all the same things, but right. It wasn't charging my soul. So I think the biggest thing when it comes to that, if you're looking to do a two or a three day fast, make sure that what you're wrapping that around is something that charges you, that gives you energy, that lights you up. Because if it's something that's depleting you, you are going to go for not just a snack, but the donuts. You're going to go for the high calorie things because you're so... Sugar fixed right away. Yes. Because you're drained. You're exhausted. You need that like boost and that sugar, that sugar fix is going to instantly give you that. Right? So when it comes to those things, make sure it's something. That's why it's linked around kind of like a retreat or it's linked around a meditation or something. I went to a past life regression a month or two or three or four ago. And she, that was one of her suggestions was don't come with a full stomach, right? So it's easier to slip into hypnosis. It's easier to be in those higher states of consciousness if we aren't bogged down with food, which naturally brings us down to that root chakra, brings us down to the earth, which is good. But if we are looking for a higher state of consciousness, that crazy level of creativity and sometimes a little bit of loopiness. It requires that that food piece holds off. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting too, because I feel like we need to blend them both, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. when you're talking about both being grounded and also chasing or achieving that higher level of being, I think it's honoring, um, yeah, it's honoring both states, but also 
recognizing that both are wonderful and that you can step into what that's going to look like. So why don't we just walk for the people that are listening that are like, okay, so practically, what does that look like? So I'm just going to run you guys through my day. Maybe you want to run through like you, like a typical day of what that looks like. And just give some people some ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, typically, uh, most days I would wake up between like Anywhere between 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., just depending on the day. Uh, Then first thing in the morning, some days I do cardio. Um, Some days I don't do cardio. Some days I work. Just depends on on what the day is looking like. Some days kids need snuggles. But throughout that whole morning piece, the liquids that I would consume would be two and a half liters of water mixed with the amino acid. So the one that I use is Core Nutritionals, but... Lots of amino acids are fantastic, but I would be drinking that throughout that period of time. So if I do do cardio, that's great. Get the kids to school. We do all the morning routine, the dance, the affirmations, all the fun jazz that the morning routine entails. I do drop off. If I'm going to lift for the day, I would come home. I would lift again, still in a fasted state. Sometimes coffee happens either before drop off, but typically it'll happen after drop off, I will be focused on getting lunches and then do the coffee after. I'll do my lift. And then after I would do my lift, which would be like my strength training workout, I would do apple cider vinegar mixed with water. So this is just changing so that the pH balance of my stomach is ready to receive nutrients. So essentially apple cider vinegar is going to make my stomach more acidic so that as soon as nutrients are being consumed in my next meal, my stomach is ready to rock and roll. So I will drink uh, probably about one ounce of apple cider vinegar mixed with about 250 to 500 milliliters of water. And then uh, 15 to 20 minutes later, if I've lifted, that will be a protein shake mixed with water. If I haven't lifted, I'll go right into my first meal of the day. Always high in protein. So that could be chicken, fish, um, those are pretty much my two goes, chicken and fish, (laughs) But it'd be those two proteins probably. And then a large serving of vegetables. If I've lifted, sometimes it'll contain a carbohydrate, but often it won't. It'll be a pretty low carb meal. So that would either be cauliflower rice, zucchini. And typically, again, that meal's not very large happening, happening around like noonish. I work afternoon, do pick up, drop off. I'm not a big snacky person, so most of my calories would happen like in that dinner meal because I've left so much freedom and flexibility in the day, probably at this stage have only consumed like maybe 400 calories by the time dinner rolls around. Mm -hmm. Feels great for me. I feel good to go. I still have all night Mm -hmm. to still consume whatever it is that makes sense. We want to do taco night on Tuesday because that's what we always do on freaking Tuesdays, which is great. But mm-hmm. I, I can have tacos. It can include like a regular, well, gluten-free wrap. And then I feel okay with that because I have lots of freedom and flexibility. So right. we'll do a dinner, whatever that's going to look like, protein, vegetable, and uh, some sort of starch. And then the evening can be whatever it's going to look like. Sometimes it's going to include wine, occasionally includes uh, yeah, occasionally include snacks with my hubby and we have a good time with that. So typically the eating window would end for me somewhere in between like eight and nine. So eight to nine hours of eating throughout there, but that seems to work and feels pretty good. Perfect. Oh, I love it. I, your day is 
similar, different than mine, but shifted timeline. So mine, I would say our day begins. I know you guys start your day kind of two hours ish before school. Ours starts about 45 minutes before we have to be leaving the house. So I would say anywhere between seven and eight is kind of the wake up time. So we get up. Coffee is the first thing in my system. Like I barely say hello to anybody. I mean, for my children. So I try to, but Coffee is my be-all, end-all. Got to get there as soon as that's my system. One sip, I'm like, okay, now it's time to make lunches, do breakfast. So we are kind of right into hustle mode. But it doesn't, because of the nature of our life right now, my husband is working from home. If Felix is up, and usually he's kind of the first kiddo up, if he's up, that's kind of... Felix is your oldest, right? Yes, Felix is five. He's the oldest. He's an SK. If the other two are kind of waking up, at a sporadic or later time, no big deal, right? So as long as Felix is up, and usually he is, then we are into just kind of go mode of breakfast, lunch, brush teeth. Usually he likes to fit a show in there somewhere, so we try to do that. But all the while, I'm just, I've got my coffee, I'm in my jammies, I am rocking life. Um, Drop off is about quarter to nine, so we make sure we're out the door for that. And then we come home and it's mostly coffee and water, usually coffee. Like I would say I don't drink much water. You're drinking two and a half liters. And I'm like, like six, six a day. probably. Ooh, girl, two and a half, two I know. And a half. Like in that morning span, I'm like, okay, by like noon, I'm like, girl, okay, you need to switch. You need to you switch. Need, you need a bigger water bottle. I do. 100%. You do. Literally, as soon as you have a bigger <laughs> water bottle, your laziness factor can go down because you fill it up once. Okay. My laziness factor when I have a small water bottle. Oh, so It's big. so high. Okay. As okay. soon as you fill that guy up once, you're good to go. Okay. I'm charging. I mean, that's my, my week. That's a, that's my a Walmart, week Walmart special. Okay. Walmart special $3. And I have to go to Walmart. So, Easter's coming. <laughs> and if you're, li- if you're listening, honestly, it's a... Ange has this massive, it looks like, oh my gosh, how big is it? It is, it is two and a half, but I do like three of these a day. Yes, but it's massive. It looks like a giant water bottle and I need one. It's got a handle on it. It's got a little sippy doodle thing. Yeah. So, okay. So I need to get one of those, but I would say about until noon, even 11 is just coffee because that's what's working with our schedule. By the time Coralie and Nolan are ready for lunch, that's when I'm like, okay, Maybe, maybe we rock a smoothie. Maybe we rock scrambled eggs or a smoothie is kind of our go-to. Cam is big into the protein as well. So one of us. And you have eggs. We have eggs. Yes. We have chickens who lay eggs. So we are generally rocking egg whites kind of scrambled. And then afternoon is pretty, pretty low key. We don't eat a ton. There's snacks for the kids. They do lunch. And then, yeah, our evening meal is our big kind of calorie dense meal in and around there i would say rice cakes are a go-to for Ditto. all of us oh my god can of tuna Jamie's like, of course this, like, he's like literally take a picture of your podcast bag because people are gonna laugh it's rice cakes and tuna yeah. in a big water bottle and, and so i yeah. find for me the thing about rice cakes that i love is i can have a large quantity and still get the payoff so I don't they taste so good. They taste so good. And I don't like some people love chips. I love like even the mini rice cakes where you can get ketchup, you can get dill pickle, you can get salt and vinegar, you can get popcorn flavored, right? And I get the same fix that I would without the 
heaviness in my stomach is the biggest thing. Calories, sure, that's a factor. But for me, it's more about the heavy kind of feeling. So I can eat an entire sleeve of rice cakes. Like it's a bit embarrassing how many rice cakes I can eat, but I enjoy them. There's no, um, it's not like eating 10 chocolate bars, even though I feel like I've eaten 10 chocolate bars because they're sweet, they're crunchy. It's that carb fix with sweets that is also crunchy, right? And I find that with chips, that would be something that I would, all of those things are something I would seek except for the sweet part, which I would go for after. Mm-hmm. So then I'd go, you know, I'd eat chips and then I'd want cookies. Whereas I find the rice cake really kind of brings all of that in. It's like an easy cheat, but I'm not cheating. <laughs> and because it's made from, well, essentially what happens with rice cakes or rice in general is that digestion is slower and doesn't have that same level of insulin spike, right? Right. So what happens is like when we have like, let's say a chocolate bar or even just these super rich things or chips, what ends up happening is the spike is so high and then it goes through your system so quickly because there's no fiber linked to it. And I know that the fiber in a rice cake is not massive, but it's made from rice. So there's enough of a binding solution so that the insulin spike is not crazy, crazy high. So what happens is we feel good without having that super high spike and then the drop. As soon as the drop happens, we want more chocolate. Yeah. We want more versus you have the seven rice cakes and maybe to you that feels like that's a crazy amount, <laughs> but like seven rice cakes is like 300 calories, right. which is like yeah. nothing. Right. Right. But, it, but it, for me, it's very much quantity over quality. Almost. I I'm yes. craving. I want to eat in this moment. I need to eat. I want something sweet. I want something filling. Right. So I'm not going for that. Like, one chocolate square that's you know oh it's gonna be so sweet it's gonna be so decadent I don't care about that square I don't want that square I want a lot of something I want a volume and I want it now and I want to be able to like chew on it for a half an hour totally and that's the biggest key for dieting that we teach people about all the time in our programs is like volume eating is the best way to sustain this lifestyle I would love that if you could eat these super amazing rich fantastic things and have two bites that you would feel good to go but what happens so often neurologically is you want 10 bites so you need these voluminous meals and even for me when I was talking about the lunch thing like maybe two guys are like oh yeah cauliflower rice isn't that crazy exciting but to me I can eat literally 300 grams of cauliflower rice the bowl is absolutely ridiculous to the person looking at it and I'm like I know, but that amount of cauliflower rice is literally 10 carbohydrates. Right? And 10 so, grams of carbs, right? And so to eat half of a sandwich or that entire bowl of cauliflower rice, you're like, I will take the volume because Over. I need to chew it. I can feel it in my system. I can, right? Versus like, oh my goodness, this tiny little sandwich is going to be good for about five bites. And, and the then, neurological hit that happens yes. happens over and over and over and over. So I'm going to tell you another trick I use with dieting, which my husband thinks is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so when I eat something that's really yummy, like let's say ice cream. Yes. I use a tiny spoon and I literally eat it so small. <laughs> it is disgusting. Uh, like the, the spoon is so small. It's not even like a regular spoon. It's like the one that you would give the baby, one. The baby one. Yeah. It's literally like the tiny. And I'm like, I get pleasure every single bite. Yes. 
versus if you have a large spoon, large thing, and you only have those big bites, you get the flavor hit every single time. So if you can just break it into the baby little spoon, you can get that like neurological hit, that satisfaction over and over and over. But I've found that that has been such a big shift in terms of habit where I'm like, huh, same amount of calories, but I did 50 bites. He's like, you're going to have to refreeze your ice cream by the time you're done. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but I'm going to feel really good about it. Yes. So. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm going to use that trick and I'll keep you posted on how that goes. Sounds All right. good. All right, baby. Oh, another hour. We're going to wrap this in. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge on intermittent fasting. I feel like we all have been hearing it. We've been finding out about it. We've been researching it. And so to hear one of the experts in the field, your process, your experience, and the way that you go about using that with clients and yourself has been really um, clarifying (laughs) for me. Very clarifying. I'm I'm working it into my daily life, but hearing all the things you have to say on it is really charging, but also um, informative. So thank you. Mm, And I love the perspective that you shared, Ashley, in terms of that integration. And, you know, it's so cool to me when you have those moments of like, I've been doing that thing, but didn't really understand why that thing felt that way. And so for you, shedding the light in relation to the chakras and the higher self was so cool for me because I'm like, ah, that (laughs) makes sense. I remember telling you about it and you're like, huh? I do not see that connection at all. And then when in talking about it, you're like, oh, you can see the light bulb like ding, ding. Whoa, cool. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. I guess I never really thought about, I mean, flow state is something I feel like seeking in business is so important, but I feel like I've never really connected flow state with chakras. So I For think, sure. I yeah. think that's so cool. Anyways, we're going to let you guys go. We're going to yeah. catch you next week. So, Thanks for joining us for another awesome episode. You betcha. See you next Thursday. 